Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Chef Ronnie Killen coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine in Montrose. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm well. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, restaurants continue to announce that they are temporarily closing after they have employees test positive for COVID-19. Some of the more recent additions to this list include... Superica and La Lucha, uh, Relish Restaurant and Bar, Nobis, and Taste of Texas. Mary, I've talked about this on the show the last couple of weeks. It seems to me like this is an inevitable pattern that we're in, where the virus is still a reality in our life. People will continue to go places where they bring them into contact with other people. And so inevitably, people will get sick and that will force restaurants to close. I mean, it's definitely, you know, until we have a vaccine or some type of medicine that helps prevent this and or cure it once we have it or something, um, the spread of this is going to continue, especially with opening up uh, throughout the state like we did after Memorial Day. So, you know, most restaurants aren't, you know, some restaurants got PPP, others did not, but restaurants can't sustain closing multiple times at this point for eight to 14 days or whatever each restaurant is doing. Um, it's going to be really, really tough. The bigger the restaurant is, the the more likelihood of an employee testing co- positive for COVID just by the numbers. So what is your take on like disclosure? Because I, I feel like, I feel like restaurants are sort of required to tell people just because and I, and I recognize that this is a slim possibility, but it's, it's theoretically possible that if you dined at a restaurant where an employee has tested positive, that you could have, in theory, also contracted the virus. You know, this is, uh, I'm an attorney in addition to owning a restaurant, so I think the duty is to disclose no matter what. I think it's the ethical thing to do. But I do know for a fact that there are restaurants out there that not only are they not telling other staff members, but they're not telling the public. And I think that is shameful. Well, yeah, I think uh, my worry is that restaurants, you know, will not like will have someone test positive and then not close that they will continue to operate that. That's the really scary thing for me. That's the scary thing for you. And it's a scary thing for these employees. I have a, a dear friend of mine that told me, you know, some of uh, some employees had tested positive and she had asked her boss to, you know, when was he going to tell everybody? And, and he's said that he wasn't. So, um, you know, I think, I think the right thing to do is not only shut down, but to get all of your employees tested, make sure they have access to testing and sanitization and deep cleaning. But some operators are going to be better, better behaved than others. And so I think right now diners are really going to dine out at institutions and restaurants that they have relationships with and that they feel safe and that they feel the staff would be transparent and honest with them. Well, right. The, the other sort of aspect of this that I want to sort of banter about is that when a restaurant discloses that someone has tested positive and then they reopen, I, I would hope that people would feel really good about supporting that restaurant and rewarding them for being honest. You would hope so, but... I, and I would hope so too, but I know a lot of people are just scared of going out right now. And so, you know, I think, I think the younger you are, maybe it's easier to support those places. I think the older you are, it's harder. It might be harder for those type of customers to be like, oh, let's go there just because they can't afford to risk it. Well, the higher, I mean, the higher risk you are, you know, based on your age, based on pre-existing conditions, all that certainly will dictate whether you're dining out at all. Sure. But, but I guess my, my take on this is that 
if a restaurant is honest enough to disclose that they had a positive employee, that they then close to deep clean the restaurant, get everybody tested, and yeah. then when they reopen, right, that means that everyone who's working there has had a negative test, and the restaurant has been, like, comprehensively deep cleaned. I mean, yeah. that's the time to go support that restaurant, in my opinion. I believe like, I, I the, can't wait is, to go back to Novi's, for example. It's the right thing to do, but uh, the proof will be whether it happens or not, you know, and you can't force the consumer, the diner to go out and dine. They may, if they don't feel safe, they don't feel safe. And there's nothing any of us can do about that. And that's, that's the thing about it. There's so many unknowns with this, with this virus still. All right. Well, will you feel safe dining at a restaurant when it reopens after uh, this sort of situation? It depends which one. So it'll be a case by case basis for me. Um, Nobies. Yes. Uh, right. Some other restaurants. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nobis, yes. Relish, less. Super, Super Rica and La Lucci, yes. Yes. Uh, and then we'll, we'll I, skip. Am, I going, am we'll I going to Bizu anytime soon? Probably not. Or Clay or some other places? No. Well, right. I mean, <laughs> I, I am still focused on dining at restaurants that are practicing like good social distancing and yeah. kind of good hygiene. So you, you'll, not that I'm a nightclub person anyway. But like you're, you'll never see me at at a place like Bisu where it's crowded, where there's people dancing around, where there's, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, actually, I just I actually think I actually think the smaller the restaurant, it, you know, the more local it is and everything else, I think those are the people that are practicing the safest standards, like Nobis, for example, you right? Know? And they can't help what happened to them, but they're they're doing their best to do it right. Right, I agree with you, and I and I've been to the Toasted Coconut, their sister concept, a couple of times. And they are very fastidious about encouraging diners to wear masks when they're any anytime that they're not seated, right? If they if they yep. as they enter the restaurant, as they leave the restaurant, when they get up to go to the the restroom, all of those times, right? Masks for customers, you know, contactless payment as much as possible, hand sanitizer available. So so yes, I feel like, you know, this is just sort of bad luck for nobies and and when they yeah. reopen, I will be there within the first few days to, to show and my support. For the, and for the diner that doesn't want to wear their face mask when they get up and move around, then Nobis isn't the restaurant for you. But you right, know, go somewhere I, else. Go somewhere else. Problem solved. All right, let us move on to topic number two. We've had a few closings recently related to the economic slowdown from the coronavirus. Um, Maybe none more prominent than America's, the upscale South American restaurant that was opened by Michael Cordua and, of course, uh, is now part of the Churrasco's restaurant group now that the Corduas are no longer affiliated with them. A couple others. Tropicalis is closed. Lucky's Pub closed. Uh, I saw the sign is down at the Papado on Richmond near Kirby, so I think that's done. Do you have any specific thoughts on any of these, or is this just... Uh, is this just think, kind of another fact of I life? I think for America's, no offense to anyone involved, but I think it's time had kind of come and gone. And with the Corduras not being involved in it anymore, you kind of have a, you know, a ship without a captain, so to speak. So um, I think COVID is a great time for them to close. They relied heavily on um, business, uh, you know, corporate corporate events, corporate business. And obviously that's not going to be coming back anytime soon with conferences and conventions like OTC being done. Um, so <clears throat> I'm not surprised by that one. I think we have a lot more that are going to be coming in the pipeline, especially for those restaurants that got their first round of PPP early. And yes, I know PPP was expended, extended, but a lot of them had already burned through that money by June 8th. So, you know, once the PPP money runs out, it's going to be a true test of whether a restaurant can stand on its own legs and um i'm surprised by some of them but you know if you're gonna close anytime soon you might as well call it now during covid yeah i think i think that's right this is uh you know we we'll see this i think with restaurants that were sort of um shall we say teetering on the brink yeah. right before before the virus started um that there's going to be a lot of places that either either don't reopen, right? Like we're, that's what happened with America's 
or maybe reopen and then close shortly thereafter because they can't they can't make it in this new reality. I mean, I, I feel bad for Lucky's Pub. I mean, that place was a staple of Edo before Edo was a thing, you know. But but if you just think about, you know, a place like that, you know, known for their lively St. Patrick's Day, well, that got canceled, right? A great spot for before or after Astros and Dynamo Dang. games, yeah. right? None of that is happening. So they went to the landlord and tried to renegotiate their lease. The landlord wasn't amenable to terms that they found acceptable so it's gone i mean it's just the thing about this it's a sad it's a sad set of circumstances the thing about this that is uh, intriguing to me is these landlords if you know it doesn't do i just look i just look on on the few blocks around my restaurant right so i'm in i'm in montrose and the lower end of westheimer as you kind of approach midtown and just within a span of a few blocks three or four places have closed so you know do, you, do these landlords want to sit with empty buildings or would they rather deal with a reduced rental rate for the next six months or a year or until we have a cure or people are willing to dine out at regular levels? Because 50 percent, let's say let's say a restaurant's full at 50 percent, which most places it's not. It's not it's not sustainable. So the landlord's going to be on the hook for taxes, insurance, maintenance, and they're going to get no rent for probably 12 to 18 months. And so, I don't know, I wish the landlords would be a little smarter about it and not so short term and take a more of a five to a 10 year look on this type of stuff and, and be partners with their tenants. I think it would be better for everybody in the long run. It's not good to see a bunch of empty spaces. No, I agree with you. And I think your, your point is well made, which is like, you know, if these, when these restaurants go out, you know, what's going to replace them? Like, what is, like, who's going to want, you know, 7,000 square feet or however big that America's space, second floor space is and in the River Oak Shopping spaces, Center? Good luck. <laughs> I mean, right. No, nobody's going to jump on that bandwagon to fill that space. Right. So, I mean, that that restaurant could wind up being empty for, well, a really long time, or it could wind up, you know, it's not going to be my my money is on. It's going to wind up not being a restaurant. <laughs> right, it'll wind up being a doctor's office or a day spa or a, something else. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's see. Are we ready for topic number three? I don't know. Do you have any? Do you have any Go fond memories it. of? Uh, no. We'll we'll move on to no. topic number three. <laughs> um, don't, don't do me that way, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Houston Restaurant Weeks will come back in August. The founder, Cleverly Stone, passed away at the end of May. Her daughter, Katie Stone, is taking it over. She's working with uh, a group of people to get that thing off the ground. Uh, Mary, we should say you had a you had a conflict with Cleverly one year over your participation in HRW. In uh, a previous restaurant. In a previous restaurant, but, uh, you know... Let's just, but can we can we acknowledge that, generally speaking, HRW is a good thing, and we're glad that it's coming back. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I'm, you know, I I'm glad it's sticking with Houston Food Bank. I think at this point, you know, it 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 should be Houston Food Bank's forever. I hope it I hope it stays that way. I mean, it's a, been a good partnership for Houston Food Bank, and they've raised a lot of money. Yes, sixteen million dollars since, uh, since HRW started in two thousand three, and. You know, now that there's 250 or more restaurants uh, participating, the numbers are crazy. I mean, it's it winds up being about two million dollars a year. Yeah, it does. It does a great job. Yeah. So I, but I would, you know, I'm I'm sort of curious. I've never met Katie Stone. You know, I knew Cleverly pretty well, uh, but I do think that this presents sort of an interesting opportunity to uh, rethink. HRW maybe and and sort of, you know, who gets to participate and uh, and and what kinds of restaurants and you know is is more restaurants the right number should it be more exclusive I you know I I we had a really thoughtful comment on uh, on Facebook from a culture map reader who said that you know it doesn't do a good enough job of reaching out to maybe 
minority-owned restaurants or immigrant-owned restaurants, and and maybe maybe now's the time, like you know, to kind of rethink the way that this event is is organized yeah. and executed. I think they have an opportunity to rethink it and be more inclusive and more wide-reaching, um, you know, and maybe the format. I, not for me to decide or anyone else except for the people involved, but maybe the format could have a little twist and a little change and shake up. And, you know, um, I'm sure Houston Food Bank will, will provide their input and everything else. But I think the ability for it to be farther reaching would be great. I, I do think as a restaurant owner and a ton of restaurant owners, I know I've said this, especially with how hard restaurants have been hit. I don't know that it's appropriate for it to be a month long um, but that's, that's me personally as a restaurant owner. I think maybe just have a lot more restaurants included and have it be seven or 10 days. But I think financially restaurants are going to struggle with doing restaurant weeks with limited capacity come August. Um, well, I, I do think the one thing about this that is sort of interesting is that, you know, this always stimulates people to go out and dine. In a normal so, economy. In a normal economy. So the, the hope, right, the hope is that this will prompt people to, you know, get back out there, hopefully. Yeah, if it helps people get back out there, that's great, but it can't be at a detriment to restaurants. Restaurants are already really down right now, so they need to figure out a formula that works and is profitable for restaurants. Because restaurants, we can't look at this in the way that we did in previous years. Um, so they're going to have to change it up somehow. Absolutely. All right, Mary, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Mary, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Daddy's Burgers. Yes. This is the new pop-up, summertime pop-up at the Dunleavy by Clark Cooper Concepts, essentially... Since there are no events this summer at the Dunleavy that their usual breakfast and lunch service has been replaced by a burger pop-up that has uh, hamburgers, cheeseburgers, milkshakes, tater tots, onion rings, chicken sandwiches, all of those kind of classic summertime foods. Uh, Mary, you had the opportunity to dine at Daddy's Burgers. What did you think? You know... I have known Charles and Grant for a long time, the two owners of this establishment, and it's a beautiful space. So I'm glad that they turned it into something that is sustainable for the summer and is probably right where people want to eat comfort food, burgers, shakes, all of that makes perfect sense. Um, I was excited to taste the food and surprisingly a little bit, everything was good. There wasn't a, a miss between I tasted four food items and two drinks and everything everything was actually very good yeah no i i was really impressed by this i think you know they've they've kind of thought through the details right thin patties you know smashed on a griddle nice and gooey cheese like this kind of fun uh spicy sauce that kind of lifts it the chicken breast and the fried chicken is like juicy crispy well fried and those tempura onion rings are fantastic. Yeah, the onion rings were super crispy. The fries were kind of like a Houston's restaurant fry style, like thin, crispy cut. Um, and the fried chicken sandwich for me was the winner. Did you get it with the, the spicy sauce and the coleslaw on top? On the side. Um, okay. But very good. Um, the bun was great. I like the burger. Um, I think... I did a single patty. I think most people would probably want a double patty, but that's just not how I eat my burgers. Um, but it was it was flavorful and really good. Um, I'm kind of, in general, more of a call my temperature on a burger type of person. So I'm always like, ooh, I don't know if I want the thin patties, but it was, it was very good. Yeah, I think with those thin patties, it's really hard to get it at a, like a medium, sure. right? You need a slightly thicker. But... You know, it's it's kind of gooey and greasy in a good way, so it doesn't like that they're cooked all the way through doesn't really take away from the flavor or the aspect of it. The single, I would say, the single patty is it seems pretty like a small burger, but you can beef that up obviously with the second patty. 
Yes, I, I had a double daddy's burger, and I will say that that feels more like the right proportion to me. Just like it, just like when I go to Shake Shack, I like them, I like them re- as a double. It reminded me of Shake Shack a little bit. How about you? Did you get pick up on on those notes? Oh, I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah, that you know, when you start talking about you know thin patty, griddled potato bun, sauce, simple toppings, Shake Shack didn't invent that, but they've certainly <laughs> kind of made it a global phenomenon, and so. Yes, they're obviously kind of, they've they've obviously read that playbook. They're obviously, but they put their spin on it, you know, with the, the seasoning and the chopped onion and the beef and everything. So they, you know, they've I kind like, of put their twist on it. I like the caramelized onions in general. That's the kind of burger I like more than just regular onions. Absolutely. Um, and then I didn't have cocktails. What what was your favorite of the two cocktails you tried? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I went there right before we taped today. And let's just say that Monday is really my only day off. And um, it wasn't much later than when I woke up. So the cocktails were extremely stiff. <laughs> uh, they were they were good. But I was like, good morning. Um, maybe the amount of alcohol I would prefer to have in you know a late afternoon or early evening type of setting <laughs> but uh, <laughs> had the daddy's gin and tonic was very good and then a frozen pineapple drink with bourbon um which came in a frosty chilled mug a la like you know chili's style um which was great like the vibe felt good um yeah strong drinks i was I, I can't. I feel like I can't even complain about that being an attorney as well. But you know, wow. <laughs> no, no, you get your you get your money's worth. The daddy's yeah. Fingers. That's what you. Yeah, think. they're not shorting you on the on the alcohol. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's then be I a, a nap after the show today. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just wanted to talk very briefly about my dinner Friday night at UB Preserve. It it is interesting the way that they have sort of tweaked that restaurant to suit our current uh, requirements through social distancing. You know, all of Chris Shepard's restaurants now have glass partitions that they've kind of wheeled into the dining room and put strategically between tables. Uh, you sit down and there's a laminated card with a link to a QR code that takes you to the menu. So so no no paper menus at all. Um, you know, your your flatware, your napkin and all that comes in a sealed plastic bag. Uh, you know, it's not it's not quite the same. Right, the the experience yeah. is a little bit different, but I I really do appreciate places like UB Preserve that are putting a lot of thought into how they serve diners and and you know kind of going above and beyond to sort of try to keep people safe. And I, you know, those I, are the places that I feel good about dining at right now. I ate there this Saturday actually um, on the patio, so I didn't really see inside and. Um, we had great service. The staff member that took care of us was wonderful. And I, I did feel very safe and all the safety measures were being taken care of. Um, it'll just be interesting to see where people dine right now. I, I feel like UB Preserves is a great restaurant, but it's kind of expensive. So I'm, I'm just curious as to where people spend their money during all of this. Do they go for where they think they're getting, getting the most bang for their buck or do they go out less often and they spend more because, you know, it's the one time a week or one time every few weeks that they get out of the house. Yeah, I mean, I will say, you know, I I opted for a later seating, an 8.30 seating to, to kind of mitigate how many people were going to be there. Uh, when we walked in, they had a pretty lively crowd within the limits of their current capacity. But, you know, people sitting on the patio, yep. uh, plenty of people in the dining room. And obviously, it thinned out as the night went on. But, um, but so I, I, I mean, I do have that sense, and I, and I've talked about this before that I think people are ready to be. A, I there, there's a definite section of the population that is not ready to do anything yeah. that that is going to stay home. But there are definitely people who are ready to be out and are excited to be out and are having a good time. And and you know, I'm I'm happy to see that because you know I care I about the you, restaurants I and I want them to survive. I think UB Preserves has a younger demographic uh, than a lot of restaurants. So I think the younger your demographic is, the more it helps you. Because to be quite honest and frank, you know, my mom is in her late 60s and she has not got, dined out in a restaurant. And she would normally be a regular at Houston's or Carabas or, 
you know, BCN with me. And, you know, I think the younger the demographic, the, the more likely people are willing to go out and ready to go out. Yes, I think that makes sense. And I will say that the food at UB Preserve is delicious. They're doing a, a soft shell crab dish with like an Old Bay that. spiced was, coating. That was the best dish I had. That was fantastic. Uh, you know, crispy rice salad, always good. Heirloom tomato salad was delicious with this um, like uh, fermented tomato water instead of like a traditional salad dressing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we had a seared snapper with uh, Chinese broccoli that I really enjoyed. So, yeah, I mean, it. It, it was nice, you know, UB Preserve is a favorite of mine. It felt good to be in there. It was nice to see it busy. And the food was really delicious. Yay! All right, Mary, that does it for our restaurants of the week. Before you get out of here, yes. what's going on at Avondale Food One? Well, uh, in addition to all of the stuff we have been doing, our Zoom virtual wine tastings and wine shop chucking along in restaurant, um, Father's Day is coming up. So Chef Olivier is going to do prime rib on Sunday. He only does this usually during special occasions. So um, it's always a hit. We'll be open from 12 to 8. And then Saturday, the day before, uh, you can sign up online for our Father's Day cooking classes. So he'll do a series of four cooking classes on Saturday for small groups that want to do father-son cooking classes, which I think that's kind of, you know, if you don't know what to get your dad or your husband uh, for Father's Day, that's a, a nice memory experience type of event. Yes, and I will say I ordered the prime rib uh, for Easter Sunday, and it was very <laughs> delicious. So Yay. I I endorse I endorse <laughs> prime rib at Avondale Food. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, thanks, Mary. <laughs> All right, bye. Talk to you soon. And I will be right back with Ronnie Kellen. Ronnie, you're listening to What's Eric Eating. I'm joined this week by Ronnie Killen, the chef owner of Killen's Restaurants, a group that includes Killen's Barbecue, two locations of Killen's Steakhouse, let's see, uh, Killen's Burgers, uh, Killen's TMX, and the soon-to-come Killen's. So, Ronnie, we have a lot to talk about. You were (laughs) on the second episode of this podcast, which was three years ago, and I think you've opened... You've opened at least two restaurants since then, maybe three. Yeah, I think, uh, let's see, definitely TMX, uh, definitely the Woodlands, and then um, I'm trying to think, maybe the Burgers was right around that time, too. Yeah, and when did STQ open, what, at the end of 2016, I think? Yeah, 2016, so that was was open at that time we last talked, and uh, we basically have, um, you know, hopefully the place well the woodlands barbecue place should be open probably mid-july because everything is moving really really quick on that one it's not really a major overhaul or anything and then you know the heights location is just something that's very dear to me because it's going to be the reason it's just called killings is because it's kind of like in the beginning that's kind of like the food that we're serving is going to be stuff that my you know the influence of my grandmother and my godmother and father um you know, and how it all kind of inspired me to want to, you know, to be a cook slash chef. All right. Well, yeah, let's dive in. I, I mean, that seems like as good a place to start as any. Let's let's start with Killins, the new restaurant you're opening in the former Hickory Hollow space on Heights mm-hmm. Boulevard. I yep. mean, I, I remember when that deal got done, it was sort of presented as, well, it was a restaurant, so you shouldn't have to do too much to it. I mean, basically, you wound up taking it down to the, the studs. I mean, you wound up taking it down to the brick walls. Yeah, I mean, basically what we ended up doing in this place, just because uh, I, I was hoping it was going to be something very easy to do, uh, go in there and, you know, do a one-stop permit, do a couple of changes. But since the place has not been inspected since uh, 1985, which was the year I graduated high school, um, there, there had to be, you know, for so long, they wanted to go in there and they had to, you know, reinspect it. And they're like, no, you just can't do that that quickly because there's just so many things that, you know, have changed since with different codes and different laws and, and everything. So they basically came in here and they're like, um, this building is kind of like non, uh, it, or, uh, uninhabitable or basically you couldn't operate with it the way it was. So right now, the building 
basically is a brand new building inside the four walls of the old Hickory Hollow building. You know, we, we took the, the ceiling down, we repositioned everything. Redo, I mean, people, when they walk, when they go by, they're going to go, oh, they just put a little paint job on it or something. You know, we kind of changed the texture of the bricks. My brick guy went in there and like really like piped concrete all in the, in the holes of the bricks because they couldn't find some of the bricks and everything that, to, to make it or match up. So they just kind of did what's called a German schmear where they uh, made it have a certain look to it. So anyway, there, you know, people are going to go, well, you know, that, they just kind of changed the outside, painted it, whatever. But then when you walk inside, there's a bar, there's host area, the way it's set up. I mean, it's completely different. And um, the way that we designed the interior, uh, it was designed so efficiently that um, we had to have a fire sprinkler. And because the place before didn't have one, because he didn't really need one, but it's kind of all built upon occupancy. And the occupancy that was there before, I think, was like 90, 91, I think. And uh, now the occupancy is going to be 144. So, uh, you know, we'll be able to get in more people and, you know, and it's not going to be crowded. The, the place, honestly, is beautiful. I remember one time the uh, review that you did on TMX, you said that was probably one of my nicest dining rooms that, you know, of all my restaurants. But this one to me just has so much of a, a feel to it where it reminds me of walking inside my grandmother's house because back in, you know, the forties and fifties, you know, they had shiplap and, you know, the kind of uh, stuff where it's just, it's kind of like a wood siding instead of having sheetrock because sheetrock wouldn't really around that much. Everything's kind of like wood. And uh, so the, you know, I think it's called Fixer Upper or Fixer Upper where the, you know, the gains from the Pignolia house. and Oh, um, yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah, Chip and Joe and the gains. That's one of the reasons why I, I watch that stuff all the time and I just got a lot of inspiration too. I'm like going, man, this is this looks just like my, you know, my grandmother's kind of like old southern farmhouse style. And, uh, and that's kind of like, you know, the food that we're going to do, you know, you know, fried chicken. I mean, our fried chicken over the past, you know, really past year and a half has just grown where just people, people love it. And I mean, you know, so it's going to be, and that's one thing that, you know, and, and, and it's funny because the reason I started doing fried chicken, it was at the uh, Houston barbecue festival is because they changed the VIP entrance or uh, people are coming in at, at 12 instead of uh, 11. And so I'm like going, well, Sunday, that was the day it was on. It's like every Sunday at 12 o'clock, my grandmother used to have fried chicken on the table. So I'm like, okay, we're going to do some fried chicken here because uh, it's at that time and it's just kind of like, you know, at a barbecue festival, you wouldn't think that everybody would like fried chicken, but it was a huge hit and it was so big that we actually did it at Texas Monthly Barbecue Festival and we actually we had the longest line there by far just for people getting our fried chicken. And um, so fried chicken, you know, we're going to have shrimp and grits. We're going to have fried green tomatoes. Yesterday I was working on uh, squash. We were doing squash and fried okra and, you know, just everything fresh, you know, because that's where, you know, my grandmother, my godfather, my godfather, uh, Wolf Minster, he was the, he was in charge of the, uh, of the community garden in Port Lavaca, Texas. So, you know, he had a huge garden out back, you know, in his house and stuff, in his backyard where we would go out there and just pick the stuff and then, you know, my aunt would cook it. So there's, you know, it's, uh, it's that food that kind of just inspired me to want to cook and, uh, you know, chicken fried steaks. We're going to serve chicken fried steaks on a pizza pan, just like we, you know, Hickory Hollow did. And, you know, we're going to do, you know, different type of blue plate lunch specials that would be like smothered pork chops. Um, you know, again, grits and, uh, I've been, you know, I went to uh, Napa Valley to kind of look at, you know, ad hoc Thomas Keller's place down there to kind of see, you know, plating and how they do kind of family style and all that. Cause that's what, you know, this reminds me of. And one of the things that I think is going to be really cool with this place is on Sunday, we're going to have family day. Sunday was always our, you know, our family day. And then we're going to do kind of a special. It's like, Hey, you come in, you uh, bring your fans to family table, whatever. We're going to, if you put your your cell phone into a bucket, uh, we're going to give you 20% off your meal. 
So <laughs> I think that, you know, because these days I, I see so many people in the restaurants, uh, they're on the phone all the time. And it's like, you know, get to know your family, get to know your kids. And we want to encourage that, you know, family type thing where people are going to really, really uh, get back into that because I think that, again, it's very important. And it's well, something I, that. No, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think that is important. But I also, I don't think you understand like how boring my family members can be. And that it's just much more entertaining to like sit there and scroll through Instagram instead of actually talking to them. Yeah. And, and I get that. And I, I know that, you know, it's like, okay, you have five minute picture time as far as that. But after that, you know, get, get, put the phones up and, and, uh, and, you know, hopefully that, you know, that percentage off and stuff that people will, you know, will really, you know, I think that they'll want to do that. And, you know, I hope they do. I mean, I think it's just going to be something that's going to be really nice because, it just reminded me, you know, of always, you know, being uh, with families, and, and that's kind of like this, what this restaurant's going to be about. So it's uh, right. So it's, all right. So kind of comfort food, chicken fried steak, fried yeah, chicken, chicken, fried steak, fried um, chicken. You know, smothered pork chops. You know, oxtails. Uh, you know, just that good food. That my my sausage. I mean, my grandmother used to make sausage, and it just, you know, was so tasty because, you know they would kill the pig and they would get the, you know, the calf and, you know, take it. And, uh, my grandmother always had lard, you know, in a, in a Folgers coffee can, uh, actually I think it was Sanka, um, that was always on the stove. So, I mean, you know, we want to do breakfast here too on the weekends and, you know, farm fresh eggs and, you know, sausage and gravy. I mean, biscuits and, you know, all that good Southern stuff that I kind of grew up on. And, um, you know, I, I just, my grandmother was always about, you know, you got to have a good breakfast because breakfast is, uh, you know, it's kind of like the fuel for your engine for the day. And uh, it was always a very important meal for her to, to feed everybody. And, you know, my grandmother was always, you know, for me, she was, uh, I was kind of, I guess, the favorite of the grandkids because, you know, I, I was all about cooking and none of them were. So I would always get, you know, to help and, you know, we're, it's funny because we're doing these little hostess cupcakes, you know, the little black ones with the little white squiggly lines and then the cream filling in the inside. It's like a cream marshmallow. Well, I, she used to buy those for me and she used to hide them because, you know, she'd always give them to me because I would help her. So we're going to, we're going to make those. And yesterday I was actually, you know, working on that particular recipe and, and, uh, it came out pretty good, but I've got some little tweaking to do on it, but, it's uh, it's fun. I mean, you know, to me, I think that people are going to look at it and you know go, this is what Ronnie is all about. You know, this is what you know he does well and and stuff. And that's you know, biscuits and rolls. And if you look at my Instagram, there's you know there's that's what it's all about. And that's what I've been doing for the last. You know, my mother came over yesterday, and I was like, okay, mom, what do you think about the you know chicken and dumplings? That's going to be you know homemade chicken noodle soup. Um, Cobb salad, just a plain Cobb salad. I know that sounds, you know, boring, but when it's done, you know, from the heart, it just it tastes different and, you know, the flavor profile is different and it's not like the steakhouse. So, you know, it's going to be, I would say, basic food, but it's going to be, you know, comforting food. And comfort food, I think that right now everybody needs it because with everything that's going on with, you know, the, the, uh, protest and you know the the covid and, and everything i think that people want things that remind them of home and i think that a lot of stuff that we've been doing at the pop-ups and how we've been doing it, it's like we're we're super super busy because it is that type of food that makes you happy you know we will do brisket we will do beef ribs we but it's not going to be a barbecue place it's going to be we're going to do those you know we're going to have you know brisket enchiladas or brisket tamales you know and we're, you know it's just kind of like the best of what we do at other places for dinner we will have steaks we will have you know chicken fried steaks you know and a lot right, of but, the same but stuff, are you going to do prime steaks you're going to do like choice steaks maybe at a slightly lower price point well i that's what i want to do is i'm going to do a choice steak because we have wood, we're going to have a wood burning grill we'll have a barbecue pit a jnr pit here uh and you know, we want to make it where it's more affordable, where it's not so crazily priced. And, you know, we can get something. It's funny because actually choice steaks are more expensive than prime steaks right now. 
you know. And uh, I'm just going like, man, it's just crazy how everything is, you know, even meats and stuff are just so expensive with everything. So, you know, I think that, and, you know, also, you know, some tanger steak, a flat iron steak, or, you know, I love flank steak because there's something about the flavor and the texture and everything when you make it right with a little chimichurri, you know, just something that's simple, but full flavor and, uh, you know, the sides to our macaroni and cheese, but the macaroni and cheese is going to be baked. It's going to be where you just put a little egg in it. My grandmother always used to, I mean, she used to use government cheese, but, you know, using, you know, really good cheese and she used to use evaporated milk. But, you know, the little egg you would put into it would just give it a richness that was something that I just remember so much of, you know, really with her macaroni and cheese, I loved it the next day too, cold, because it just the flavor profile and, you know, she put a little bit of English mustard in it just to give it pop. And, you know, so a lot of that stuff you'll see. I mean, there's going to be pictures of my grandmother in here. There's going to, you know, it's up my godparents that, that uh, you know, were in the gardening. And there's a lot of pictures of them going to different festivals and winning and ribbons. And she did, you know, they, they when they would go to a place, people are like, okay, well, I guess we're fighting for second because that that's how they're, that's, I guess a little bit of my, competitiveness you know came from them and and just trying to to do the best you could do when you were doing an event yeah so so i mean obviously the construction's coming along and you've got the sign up i mean roughly when do you expect this to open well the the only thing we're kind of waiting on right now that's i mean obviously there's a lot of work but we kind of slowed down and we kind of focused right now on the woodlands property and we've already started doing demo on the building and everything there is because um, we have a permit that's basically an underground permit permit where they have to, you know, tie the sprinkler into a six foot six inch main uh, here, and that is a really big undertaking, and it's called a large a large project because they have to find it. It's like five foot deep, and then they have to put these big, you know, expansion things to keep it from collapsing. And this is something that I did not know about until a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, okay, why is the sprinkler system just going to the riser room and nothing is going on? Um, you know, what's going on? And they're like, oh, yeah, well, the riser room, you have to bring the water to the riser room from, you know, the tap that's going to be here. And I'm like, oh, well, nobody told me. So it's just like there's a lot of little things that are happening now. But, I mean, there we have lights on in there now. The kitchen equipment is getting ready to go in place. We have all the tables and chairs. We have all the kitchen, all the equipment, and everything is here. So uh, tomorrow we start putting everything in place, and then you know once you know once we have a concrete thing uh, slab that we're pouring in the back. So there's a there's still when you look at it going okay well it seems like there's a lot of little things going on that need to be finished, but it's very close. I mean we we could we could open in. July, first week in July, you know, which I don't see a problem with. Um, as I said, it's very close. I mean, you know, it's very exciting. And for me now, that's why I've been really focusing. I just met with my web designer today going over, you know, the menu and what he needs, pictures and setting up a thing where we can go in and uh, turn it on. He's already, I think he's setting up the platform today. So, you know, so you go into killings.com, it's going to be there or RonnieKillen.com and it'll pop up on there. All right, so, <laughs> all right, so you mentioned the barbecue joint in the woodlands, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. right? You you purchased that building, right? It was a I, yeah, I purchased. It used to be a Culver's back, yeah. uh, probably about a year and a half ago, and then um, it just you know, and I didn't even know, and you know, I I apologize to Levi because it's like I did not even know there was a good company across the street because with the woodlands you can't see anything. And uh, it was all about right. It's all hidden by like shrubs and stuff. Yeah, because I mean, you again, you can't see anything. And you know, I was sitting there, and I we were doing, we did some pop ups in the woodlands, and they were just so busy. I'm like going, man, we need to do barbecue in the woodlands because I mean, look at the demand for it. And then with everything, we were supposed to close on it April first, and I pushed and extended the closing because I'm like going, I want you know, I don't want it, you know, the uncertainty of what everything was going on. And then when we were done the pop-ups, I was like, okay, well, there's nothing really open in the woodlands right now. And the people that had the drive-throughs, like Canes and uh, Whataburger and all these were packed. So I'm like going, well, dang, this place has got a drive-through. What the heck? I need to start, you know, get this place going. So, you know, 
we'll have a drive-through business anyway. You know, if anything worse comes to worse, we still have the, the drive-through. So, you know, I'm like going, okay, let's let's move forward and let's get it going. So uh, we started demo. We've plans already been turned in the city. We already, I mean, we should, the plans and everything should be uh, finished or approved uh, this week sometime. So everything is moving right along. My and it's perfect timing because you know the construction basically is finished with you know everything in the inside. Now it's as far as the heights location. So my construction crew went directly to the woodlands. All right. So so how similar in terms of like the menu and everything is it, is it exact replication or excuse me an exact replica of what you're doing in Pearland or will it be different in some way? Well, what we're in the woodlands is probably going to be like what it was at Killens when we first opened. You know, this I have the same pit capacity. I have two oily 1300s and then two thousand gallon propane tank pits, some two offsets. So we will be able to cook the same amount, but I want to make this in more. I want to in, increase the proteins and everything a lot slower rate. So we'll come in there and we're going to do. You know, instead of having beef ribs every day, we'll do beef ribs like on Saturday. We'll do, you know, certain items like when originally when we started the barbecue place in Pearland, how we were doing it. And, you know, now it's just morphed into something that's so crazy that, you know, when Wayne Mueller was here, he's like, man, Ronnie, I can't believe how much food you go through. He said, it's crazy. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, we're constantly taking, you know, and, you know, when Wayne says stuff to you, he's been around it all his life and he's like, you know, you have, you're constantly pulling fresh meat off the pit. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people in the barbecue world that are like, oh, killing's not what it used to be. It doesn't have a huge line. I was like, I didn't want that. Because to me, if you have the big line, yeah, it looks great. It looks great to be able to say, hey, we're sold out. But to me, the business plan is not the best. Because if people are driving by, you're not going to get them because they don't want to wait in line or can't wait in line. Or, you know, but now we, we have older people because they can make a reservation they have you know to me i don't care about the line being wrapped around the building as long as i've got a line to you know the counter words are cutting and we're doing a transaction every 47 seconds it doesn't matter to me if the line is to the door to the bathroom whatever you're still doing the you know the volume but it's more approachable and uh that is what i think is key because people driving by locals or anybody you know or it's not. I guess it makes it where it's not so much of a destination place because, you know, that culture of, hey, you know, there's only 25 briskets, you know, and I got to make sure I get some, you know, that people go and camp out and, you know, the long lines, which we had for a long time, but then I wanted to kind of change what we were doing to make it more approachable for people. And uh, yeah, it's more do, it's you know, more democratic, right? Uh, right. You know, with with a little d. In the sense that not everybody has an hour and a half to stand in line and then 45 minutes to eat. I mean, not everybody. No, you know, I mean, they don't. If you're not everybody just physically wants to stand out in the heat, you know. It's, there you it, go. There man, are. I'll tell you, that is one of the things I have most enjoyed about the sort of changes to restaurants during coronavirus is that I can order from a barbecue place online and mm-hmm. pick it up to go without standing in a long line. It's yep. just it's, it's so much more convenient. It definitely is changing the way that the future and dining and food, it's definitely changing that. And so, you know, I think that that's, uh, and, you know, that's one of the things that we did, you know, when we changed everything is like we closed down a couple of the restaurants. We centralized everything because the Pearland barbecue location, it had everything in place. We had a to-go window. We had counter service where people could go because you know counter service is okay because you're not seating sitting you know inside we had outside dining we had everything set up where it's like and we can just we could pump it out and it's like this past april i mean was probably one of our busiest months we've ever had and it's crazy how that worked because um you know we just adapted we're like okay we're going to do chow now we're going to do odd things that you know, that normally is not what we do because, but if you can, you know, get Killen's barbecue and not have to wait in line, just like you were talking about with any of them, and you can get it either delivered and, you know, why not? You know, just, there's, there's a lot of little things coming up too that I don't know if you noticed on my Instagram, there's some pizza boxes. 
<laughs> I did see that, yes. Yeah, so, you know, that's just a little hint of something that's going to be going on in the future because, you know, when you look at delivery and, you know, when you look, you know, even Papa John's, they were talking about how, you know, they've had, you know, their busiest months ever because, you know, they're delivering and, you know, you have to, you just have to be, uh, you have to be able to adjust and adapt to what's going to continue to, uh, to keep you alive. And, you know, that's why, you know, during the pop-ups and all the stuff that we were doing, I mean, I'd be out there cooking because, you know, that's keeping, trying to keep the heartbeat of the, the brand going. And it's like, we can't, you know, we can't fail. We have to keep on, we have to push, we have to, you know, there was, uh, a Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday that we did four pop-ups and, uh, you know, in that time period. And we cooked something like 150 cases of chicken. Okay. Each, each chicken, each case of chicken has 16 chickens in it. So 16 times eight pieces, you know, times 150. I mean, that's just like a crazy amount of chicken. And, uh, I I can't even... Like, I, I need the calculator, but that sounds like a an absolute yeah. crap load of chicken. Oh, yeah. I think one, I mean, it was like, I don't know, how 8,000 8, pieces. I mean, it's like, holy cow, that's a lot. I mean, you look at it, and it's like, I love it because, you know, I would always be back there cooking it because my guys, you know, they're, they're like frying chicken. I know this sounds funny because most people put the fried chicken in, and they set a timer, and they pull it up. Well, my grandmother taught me that when you're cooking it, it just has to come up where it's almost floating. The buoyancy is almost there, but it's not like way up to the top. It's way up to the top. It's overcooked. So there's a technique to doing it. And I just felt that when I was cooking the chicken, it was great. And I'm like, going, you know, and I don't mean to be, I mean, I've cooked a lot of fried chicken before. And, you know, I just have to say our fried chicken is pretty damn good. I have eaten your fried chicken many times and I... I agree with you. Your fried chicken is pretty damn good. <laughs> well, thank you. But, All right, so so we're we're running we're running long, but I, I did want to ask you about uh, TMX too because you've made some you kind of had one vision for it, um, mm-hmm. and you've made some changes, and so I just was kind of hoping you could kind of go over how you see that restaurant now and kind of what its status is. Well, ever since we reopened, you know, I kind of wanted to do, I mean, we did a grand reopening with the Chamber of Commerce. And, you know, my vision of what I wanted it to be just didn't necessarily fit into Pearland. So, you know, I wanted to make it where it's what people really kind of expected it to be as walking in because they're like, well, it's just TMX. I mean, that's Tex-Mex, right? Even though the M was bigger and it was more emphasis on the Mexican side of the cooking, um, you know, People don't really know what all I did to make that place. I mean, I went all over Mexico. I studied. I took cooking classes. Uh, we hosted, actually, the uh, executive sous chef from the resort of Pedregal during the World Series. And he came in, and he's like, Jeff, he goes, man, your restaurant is, is more authentic than 80% of the restaurants in Mexico. He said, because in Mexico, they have to cater to the tourists, and the tourists want Tex-Mex. So, you know, when you have, when you're making your corn, I mean, everything there has something that's very important to me. And I'm like going, okay, now we have the opportunity. We're going to reopen and, you know, with COVID and everything, we'll reopen and kind of make it what people are expecting. And, you know, now it's like, you know, we're just going to do the the best Tex-Mex we can do. If you notice, we read our logo where it says, you know, authentic Tex-Mex cuisine. So when you think about, you know, people like, well, you know, Tex-Mex and, and what, you know, all my guys in my kitchen are Hispanic. So, you know, it's not, you know, the appropriation or me going, okay, well, you don't understand it. Well, Tex-Mex is, you know, it's what we do. So it's my, my spin on, you know, Tex-Mex classics or, or, you know, what people think Tex-Mex is. So our cheese is not white anymore for our queso. It's, it's a combination of white and yellow because that's what people are used to. So um, we wanted, you know, the case was different. You know, we did, did our beef fajita a little bit different. And honestly, it's, it's amazing. Our stuff is, you know, it's what people would expect, you know, for us doing Tex-Mex, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, you've, you've been reopened for a couple of weeks. How are people responding to it? 
Oh, great. I mean, we've had so many good reviews. People are very happy about it. You know, we got our chips, we got our salsa, we got everything down where, you know, I had to get, I brought in Teddy, you know, from SDQ, and I was like, hey, Teddy, you know, we need to help Alfonso to make sure that, you know, there were some some inconsistency problems. You know, like, I went in there, and, you know, I was, we're making the salsa, and the salsa is like a certain, you know, 25 pounds of tomatoes, 2 pounds of onions. You know, it's very easy. And you have five ingredients. And I'm like going, what the hell's going on where it's not the same? I go, this stuff tastes like, you know, Mexican marinara. I go, this is not salsa the way it's supposed to be. That's not my vision of it. And then come to find out, they were back there and they were making it. They did not zero out the scale. So it's like, guys, whenever you make something, you have to zero the scale out with what you're putting the product in to get a true Oh, whoa. So they would So they would dump the 25 pounds of tomatoes in and then they wouldn't... They wouldn't they, reset yeah. the scale so they wouldn't know there, like you, how many onions they, or whatever. There you go. And then when you're looking at like I went in there, I was like, okay, they had four ounces of the cilantro. And I'm like going, this is not four ounces of cilantro because what they were doing is four ounces of cilantro. Well, the container that they were putting it in, you know, would weigh eight ounces. So then they would put the, you know, it's just they, they, they didn't think to, re, to zero the scale out. And I know well, right. and, they, and I guess they hadn't. They obviously didn't think to taste the thing because then they would have realized it was wrong. Well, you know, when they were making it and it, how this all happened is we were doing the photo shoot and uh, they, the servers were out there and said something about the salt because I made the salt and I'm like, oh, God, the salt tastes great. I'm like going, it didn't normally taste like that? And they're like, no. They go, it's different every day. It depends on who makes it. I'm like, are you kidding? So then, you know, and when I would, when I was there, I would, you know, be looking and I would constantly like, why is the salsa? I go, the salsa is so important. You don't understand because that's the first thing people put in their mouth. And it kind of dictates what everything else is going to be like. You know, you have to have great tea. You have to have great, you know, mixed drinks. And you have to have great chips and salsa. And that sets the tone. And if it's inconsistent, then everything else is inconsistent. Well, I found out why a lot of it was inconsistent because, they're, they were not doing things the way they were supposed to be. You know, I went in there, you know, and like, guys, I want to see the recipes out. We have recipes for everything, and there's no way you can know them by heart because I don't. And it's like, I know them because I created them, but we just had, we had to crack the whip in there and, and get people on the same page. And it's like, look, you know, I'll move your ass around because it's like we need consistency because that is the reason people come back. And uh, ever since we did that, we've been doing a lot of really good specials to get people back in there. You know, buy one, get one freeze. We've been doing, you know, feed us for two for 25 bucks, which is cheap for what they're getting because, you know, we're putting over a pound of meat on it. And if you know anything, I mean, beef prices are crazy right now. Well, yeah, so, look, I mean, I, I know that that feed us for two at, you know, Papacitas, Neat Fizz, El Tiempo, whatever, whatever is, you know, 40, 45, 45, 50 bucks. 50 bucks. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we're trying to get people back in there. And because I told my guys, I go, look, I don't have to make money in this place. I go, but I don't want to lose money. And if we can't, you know, we just did breakfast tacos, you know, uh, this past Saturday. And somebody was, you know, posted, you know, walk, don't uh, run, don't walk to get killing breakfast tacos. And I'm like going, guys, that's what we need. We need, you know, simple food. That, you know, because basically to me, Mexican food or Tex-Mex food is basically a lot of the same ingredients regurgitated on a different vessel. You know, the tortilla right. is fried this way. It's, you know, one soft, one's hard, one's, you know, it's the same stuff. And same basic meat, same preparation, same chili sauce, same chicken, same everything. So, you know, getting that and understanding that basic core is really relatively easy. And so... We, we got it going. I mean, I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm very proud the way my staff has turned out, you know. And I was in there cooking, I'm, you know, 10 days straight. And guys are like, there were people there were people that actually were working there that did not know that I owned the place. And I'm like going, are you kidding me? They're like, well, who, who's this gringo over here? You know, telling us what to do. And I'm like, see your check right there? That's my signature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's well it. so so that sounds like it's a good thing that you're spending a little more time there oh yeah i mean i love it because you know i'm i'm in there and i'm winning there and i'm like damn why is it so hot in here so we started you know we put a bunch of money into the event hood system in there we put a you know money into the air conditioning system 
I mean, shoot, I was in there, you know, messing with all the ducts and everything and putting filters in it and everything. And uh, just because I wanted to make it comfortable, I want to make, you know, everything in there where it's operating right. And, you know, the bar and, you know, there's so many things in there that people don't know that, you know, the stars. I went to Costco and carried those stars over uh, in Mexico City and, you know, bought suitcases to carry them over. All of our glassware, all of our hearts, all the hearts came from Cabo because when you go to Cabo, that's what you see. They have glass blown hearts everywhere. When you look at the little details, you know, of the artwork that's on the wall, people don't know that that's actually trees that have been shaven. They shave the tree and they make this like tapestry art out of this material. And once you see how it's made and, you know, but you would only know unless you went to Mexico because you don't really see that anywhere around here. And it's, you know, I have one on the wall that it took this family six months to make. Uh, you know, it was $3,800 for this thing. But, you know, the look of it is just something that, you know, when you see the video of this family working on it and what all went into it, to me, you know, that's a steal for that price because, it, you know, six months. And it's crazy how that works. But unless you've been there, you wouldn't know. And even like carpet is from Guadalajara. The uniforms are from a company called Takasami, and uh, you know they're they're all custom made. Where you know that sign is what you get. If you see a lot of the spiral type stuff designed in the carpets on the walls, I mean that's what we did. You know that's what we wanted to be. So when you walk in, you're like, I remember that from Mexico. I remember this. Wow, all these memories and things that you remember that that's uh, familiar. But yeah. I love that place. Yeah. Well, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that you kind of got that place where you want it to be. Yeah. Um, well, let me tell you, we have gone, um, we have burned through all the topics that I had for you. You have, uh, I've barely been able to get a word in, but you've been very expansive, so I appreciate it. <laughs> I, you know, I hope that when people hear that that you know me talk and everything, as far as you know, you ask any kind of questions or anything, it's like I'm very if people don't know me they would know or think that i'm very passionate about what i do i put the details of what i do with i mean maya was telling me she's like ronnie she goes um have you ever thought about doing restaurant design with our you know everything that's in here it's just like it's so pretty because every detail is just amazing and i'm like going nah, i never thought about it but you know it's like if the cooking thing don't work out then maybe i could go design restaurants or you know set up color things and, you know, tiles and everything that we've done because I, well, I like I, doing that because it's part of the feel, you know? Right. Well, I mean, I think, well, I, first of all, I think the cooking thing is working out just fine for you, but, <laughs> but, you know, I think sometimes, you know, you get a little grouchy on Facebook and people, people make assumptions about your personality, but I, I, I like these longer form interviews cause, cause I think your, your thoughtfulness and your passion for what you do comes out better. Yeah, I do because, you know, people, you know, I've had people go, ah, oh, Ronnie Kelly, he's just an asshole. And I'm like going, you don't know me. There's one guy that used to hate me. And now he, now he's my biggest fan because he didn't know me. And I was like, hey, you know, do you want to go get a beer or something? Because I just don't know why you have all this hate toward me because I'm really a good guy. You know, I, if you look, I mean, we care about the community. We gave a lot of food away. We do everything during Hurricane Harvey when everything was shut down and stuff it's like but that's just how we do because i got that from my grandmother as far as giving even when it was hard to give we still kept on doing it because it's about our brand and it's just that's who we are and uh you know i i care about our restaurants i mean i want everybody to be happy and uh you know i'll do whatever it takes to make them happy you know and if it means you know refund refund gift i mean trust me that's how i am i mean that's why I would think my love language is making people happy with food. And, you know, you just have to under, you know, understand that that's what it's all about for me. It's not about money. It's not about anything. It's about putting people, put a smile on people's face when they're, you know, in a distressed time or what's going on. And make people happy for about three hours with the good comforting meal. I mean, all right. That's what's about no, it. absolutely. All right. Well, okay. before I let you go. Uh, I got to hit you with the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. All right, Ronnie Killen, what is your favorite cookbook? 
Favorite cookbook? Man, that's a, that's kind of a hard question. Um, favorite cookbook? Uh, La Russe Gastronomique. All right. I know that sounds funny, but you know. No, no, you're French trained. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. But, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? First band? Um, yeah. Uh, a, a play a group called the Velvets, and they are huge around Shiner, Texas, where. Um, Shiner Beer's from, Shiner, Vic, Victoria, Hallettesville, Moulton, and all that. I mean, they're not very popular, but if you look them up, they're good. All right. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Uh, a double mean jalapeno water burger. All right. Jalapeno now, usually, water burger. Usually I ask people who their favorite Houston sports figure is, but since you're such a big Cowboys fan... I'm going to ask you, who's your favorite cowboy of all time? Roger Staubach. And then finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go-to toppings? Pepperoni. All right. Give us the uh, – What is there like one website that kind of ties all your stuff together? RonnieKillen.com. Very good. Ronnie, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, no problem. Anytime. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.